Welcome to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to the Federal Executive Forum celebrating 17 years of profiling excellence in government IT mission programs. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss best practices with machine learning and artificial intelligence strategies in the federal government. With me on today's show are Dr. Gil Artrovich, Director of the National Artificial Intelligence Institute, Department of Veterans Affairs, Ramesh Manon, Chief Technology Officer, Defense Intelligence Agency, Sri Ambadi, Founder of CEO H2O.ai, Nick Saki, Principal Technology Strategist, Pure Storage, and John Dillon, Chairman of, of the Board at Aerospike Corporation. Gil, we're going to start with you. Uh, tell us, give us a state of state on what's happening in the artificial intelligence arena in regards to veterans affairs. And I want to say I came so pleased to see what you all are doing for the veterans and for the veterans families. Great. Yeah. First of all, yeah, thank you for uh, having me here. And uh, uh, we're really excited to uh, talk about some of the items and some of the new efforts that are going on at the Department of Veterans Affairs um and work we're, we're doing toward the uh, veterans in the uh, ai and machine learning space um so you know first uh, ai machine learning really can be used to improve access to information it can make it readily available and scalable uh and in doing so it's really going to make a fundamental change in the way we serve the veteran community by really enabling and, and empowering uh, our workforce with high-end tools um as uh, uh by as the, the largest uh, integrated healthcare system in the country, um, the VA really has uh, the capability to really help in serving um, its uh, population. Um, and uh, the people, the data, the infrastructure um, can really play a large role in that. Um, in, and so the VA really has a potential now to lead um, in, in a number of these different uh, areas. Um, I think some of the areas that we see uh, moving forward, uh, trustworthy uh, artificial intelligence, making sure that we um, uh, maintain uh, and, and uh, the trust uh, with the community, uh, with uh, the, this uh, approach of using artificial intelligence. And so there are a number of new processes that are undergoing, uh, that are being done now to ensure that. Um, so, uh, for example, there are these uh, nine uh, principles of trustworthy artificial intelligence that were developed as part of uh, an executive order, and we now have uh, processes being developed to ensure that any uh, artificial intelligence applications within uh, the VA uh, that will be developed will follow these uh, nine principles. Um, there's work going on across a number of different offices. Um, for example, uh, under leadership of um, uh, Samantha Paul, Chief Data Officer of the VA, the Data Governance Council is uh, uh, establishing uh, structures and uh, processes uh, to work across different uh, offices and a, a number of different aspects regarding uh, the uh, new uh, VA uh, data strategy. Um, the uh, VA also uh, specifically has uh, an AI strategy that came out this past October, and we're now uh, working on the uh, roadmap uh, to implement that uh, going forward. So there's a number, I would say that this is now a really exciting time in terms of like the possibilities, because uh, we're now setting up the right structures, working across different offices 
um, at the VA to ensure uh, that a scalable approach uh, and one that is uh, trustworthy uh, and one that really benefits the veterans is established going forward. Yeah, and then it's a really uh, sort of that whole bias issue around AI, super important, and the trustworthiness, the uh, security around it, uh, super important. So really do appreciate, again, everything that you're doing for all the veterans out there. Ramesh, how about at DIA? Tell us about the state of state, about what's happening with AI and machine learning in regards to the Defense Intelligence Agency. Thank you, Luke. So at DIA, what at least I was able to do is make it an agency strategy. So General Scott Barrier, our director, has defined a new strategy this year, and that is AI readiness. So I'm leading that strategy for the agency, and I had to do a couple of things. One, bring the people together across different mission areas, right? DI, DO, ST, across, bring them together. And then we have three main goals within the DIA's AI strategy. We want to be AI ready by 2025, AI competitive by 2027, and AI mature by 2030 which is very much aligned to the National Security Council's recommendation to the Congress. And that's our primary big building blocks. And we're looking at different dimensions uh, from talent, skills, platforms, tools, tradecraft, uh, mission priorities, and most important, accelerate the collaboration with our allies and partners. When you say uh, mission ready, what, what does that mean? Just give us an example of that. So multiple scenarios where a human and machine can work together, where can AI accelerate or analyst, where can we augment intelligence? Our foundational priority as DIA is foundational military intelligence. We provide intelligence to warfighters and decision makers, right? In terms of foreign military intelligence. So we need to really bring the best tools, capabilities and platforms in achieving our mission. Mm -hmm. It would be two parts. One is typical intelligence at what we provide to the president. There could be to the combatant commands, J2 combatant commands are our part of our ecosystem. So we provide them the intelligence so they can carry out their missions in more effective, meaningful manner. So it's basically leveraging the power of all source foundational military intelligence and getting into the hands of the warfighters so they can execute their mission in a responsible manner. Got it. And uh, you said liberating. I've heard democratizing. Sri, I think it's perfect timing for you and welcome to the show. Uh, I know that you speak very finely of that. Uh, tell us about the state of the state from your perspective, what you see from H2O.ai. Thanks for having us, Luke. We're super excited to kind of bring our mission to democratize AI to the federal and the government agencies and public sector. One of the, um, and bring our unique voice to this, um, to your audience, one of the most um, fundamental transformations that are happening across is data is becoming more and more liquid and people are beginning to use data to make decisions. And AI is a truly transformative force for both the, as, we, as we come out of the pandemic and going to the new world, which um, pandemics and wars have historically coexisted, we need to be able to react to things much more faster and much more equitably like Gil's comment around bias and uh, inclusion. How do you try to kind of um, prevent um, kind of inadvertent use of historical decision-making um, and bring more transparency to AI, more trustworthy AI. We started with open source, which gives the most freedom. And we have a mission to make our customers AI companies. Historically, we did very well in the commercial side of the industry side. 
And our mission now is to make every agency an AI first agency in the US and make the country an AI first nation. And the way that starts is through a lot of education, a lot of uh, simplification, sort of um, some of the most common problems in AI are actually boring um, time series problems, uh, whether it's a predictive maintenance, you're looking at the largest vehicles, how do they fall apart, how do they fail, predictive, um, predictively uh, adapting systems for it, to reducing fraud, waste and abuse, especially in the hospitals. Um, how can we kind of personalize care? How do we um, at the same time look at public health? How do we start um, planning hospitals for capacity? Um, and what elective procedures are gonna be more in demand um, with uh, COVID, long COVID? How do we start looking at rolling out, um, the matching the patients to the right clinics um, with referral, even today, the world runs on faxes. So how do we start using image and NLP to start um, matching um, the right cancer patient to the right kind of physician. All of these problems are uh, simple AI problems that can be um, operationalized. The accuracy of AI has uh, never been this good before over the last hundred years um, that AI has been trying to be um, valuable, meaningful. I think now we have more accurate AI. What we do want to make sure is it's in the hands of the right people, it's at the hands of um, very uh, validation of the models is, is has to be continuous, uh, so you can explain not and interpret the models. Um, the beginning of federated AI is coming, where we can make intelligence possible on the edge, so you don't have to centralize multi-cloud, AI cloud, which allows reusability as well as um, repeatability uh, in AI use case in one portion of the organization can be uh, can help transform the entire organization, not just one um, corner, usually you have AI, um, so, uh, AI um, superpowers in one part of the agency. We wanna get that to across, um, across different agencies as well and learn from the use cases. A lot of um, uh, financial um, our use cases are typically in uh, loans, uh, PPE loans, or, or, or what, what, was, what happened with the kind of, uh, during the pandemic response, um, we have a huge um, uh, focus on how to kind of uh, empower our agencies to be world's, world's foremost um, and digital first. Uh, the, the biggest uh, interesting, the AI is no longer as much of a technological challenge as a cultural uh, transformation. Mm -hmm. the agility of decision-making in organizations uh, needs to go alongside how AI is bringing um, more and more value. And, and I think um, uh, while technology and data are ubiquitous now, the courage to act on what the uh, what the models are telling is still scarce. So I think getting um, kind of top down and bottom up grassroots um, alignment across agencies is going to be super important. Thank you very much. I really do appreciate it. Interesting perspectives there, Nick. How about at Pure Storage? It's not it's not really even Pure Storage. It's Pure Access is the way I, I think I, I, is the way you phrase it, and I really like that phrase coupled very tightly with the AI community. Give us a state of the state, Nick. Well, we're seeing a lot of customers uh, really adopt, designing and adopting uh, platforms for leveraging data at the massive scale that artificial intelligence demands. Uh, we've had uh, tremendous success uh, over the past five or six years with our artificial intelligence ready infrastructure. Uh, adopting within the federal government has been pretty substantial as a reach for a set of tools that will enable them to leverage 
and improve the processes for these new capabilities, particularly at the at Project Maven and the DoD, at the Naval Service Workers Center Crane with their with their artificial intelligence service catalog, at uh, the National Institute of Health, and uh, and of course within the intelligence community as well. So what what we've seen many people understand is that the initial experimentation with infrastructure to support artificial intelligence training, development, and deployment um, soon start to require uh, dedicated capability that's capable of delivering that data service and leveraging that data at the massive scale of you know, really what's akin to classic supercomputing design, where you have thousands and thousands of processes continually revisiting data or uh, operating against newly ingested data. And that's and that's critical to, to training uh, with artificial intelligence algorithms. Uh, more data is better, but more data uh, starts to impose its own set of unique challenges within an artificial intelligence training and development environment. So that's what we've been focused on at Pure is how do we provide the capability for agencies and our uh, commercial customers for getting the most out of the massive quantities of the data that they have and shortening that development cycle from initial algorithm programming ultimately to deployment and retraining. A lot of data out there, so critical to unlock it and make it a, 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 an efficient way to, to access and develop against it. John, how about at Aerospike? First, tell us what is Aerospike? How does that fit into this ecosystem? Tell us about the state of the state. Well, Aerospike is a hyperscale data platform, and what it does in this whole topic we're discussing uh, with AI and machine learning, um, if we go back and think about how organizations make decisions, it used to be people speed and people scale. Today, it's machine speed and machine scale. And frankly, whether you're a civil agency or a defense agency or part of the IC, the reality is there's massive amounts of data. And when you think about uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, ultimately it's about making better decisions with the contextual information that you've got available. And the contextual information changes constantly. So if you think about in military parlance, the OTA loop, the thing is the thing has been compressed into machine speed and machine scale. So the first problem you've got is massive ingestion of data. We've got uh, clients that are ingesting 10 and 20 terabytes a second going into a dynamic database where the information is changed. And what you want to do is make decisions based on the current situational awareness. So you've got to then extract information from the data you have, if you will, predictive intelligence, um, uh, analysis, deep learning, those things. But then the issue is you have to push it back to the edge where it can be made relevant in real time, whether you're at the you're a veteran and you're using a VA site, you want to be you want to have that sense of intimacy where you're doing a better job. In essence, what we talk about when we try to explain this in simple terms is what we do is empower the ability for the inference engine to make the next best decision. And they do that in many cases, sometimes thousands of times a second. And the amount of information you can bring to bear to reduce the amount of uncertainty in a decision allows better decisions. And better decisions, if they're small, don't make a difference, but they do make a difference if you're doing thousands of them a day, thousands of them an hour, thousands of a minute. We empower that. Fantastic, uh, great use case, great example. And speaking of use cases, Sri, I'm gonna go back to you. You gave us a lot of information there in a broad context. 
going to ask you to give us a specific example of a program that you'd like to highlight. Give us the, give the audience sort of a good insight as to uh, uh, a good use case of the AI capabilities. I think one of the things that um, we all know that um, we're seeing a lot of change in um, how um, extreme adverse weather events are happening. And so one of the things we were able to predict is hurricanes, right, sort of so, and exactly pinpoint down to which telephone pole is likely to get hit by, um, by um, flooding. And so using that um, metaphor, we're able to essentially, using that prediction, we're able to, even weeks in advance, let the local organizations prepare uh, from supply chain uh, disruption that's likely to come from extreme weather events, like wildfires and hurricanes. And the interesting aspect of supply chain disruption, as you can imagine in the last two years, both during the pandemic and now with the war, we're seeing um, a tremendous uh, shifts in what used to be um, acceptable levels of distribution and um, how to kind of truly make sure every package that needs to be delivered gets delivered on time and, and um, with the right level of quality. So we've been working with both the civil and the um, public um, agencies to try to give them how much of, um, of PPE they need during uh, pandemic to how much hand wash uh, they need in different parts of the country to all the way to how much drugs are needed at the ICU level to prevent ICU transfers and kind of uh, truly prepare our um, nation to have just-in-time supplies for the right things at the right time. And this end-to-end, um, -end, it used to be these were simple problems. Now, given the complex chain of interconnections that we have created digitally, um, the information um, is, is, is how uh, people are able to rapidly adapt. So the co connection between um, events and supplies um, and how do we kind of um, enable our nation to be really prepared for, um, for that rapid demand sensing and um, forecasting um, is, is at the heart. Another common use case we see is fraud, waste, and abuse, where we see claims um, come in to hospitals um, and we want to make sure um, they don't get buried in documents. And so using documents um, to document AI, pre-built models that need to be trained on the local mm -hmm. corpus so pre-built models and now make sure that you don't have to build the world context every time, but sure. then train it on the local uh, corpus of data for each agency. So we get that accuracy uh, quickly. Low code, no code methods are what we have um, uh, created. We have the world's largest um, data science grandmasters at H2O. What we've done is use their um, digitized, how they're solving these problems. Um, and make them available as tool chain and platforms for our customers. Super uh, interesting use cases. We're gonna take a short break and we're gonna be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Can you keep up with your real-time data requirements? Federal agencies need a better way to manage real-time data-intensive workloads, regardless of where they run. Used by some of the world's most recognized digital innovators, Aerospike's real-time data platform is designed to improve customer experiences in the moments that matter. Discover why innovative enterprise companies, from Adobe to PayPal, trust Aerospike. Learn how your agency can, too, by visiting aerospike.com public sector. 
H2O.AI is the trusted AI provider to more than 20,000 global organizations and 1 million data scientists. A strong AI for good ethos and responsible AI drive the company's purpose. Our goal is to get artificial intelligence capabilities into the hands of operators and analysts and believe that if agencies can execute a democratized artificial intelligence strategy, that they will actually achieve mission outcomes faster, better, and smarter. Our tools empower data scientist teams to develop machine learning models quickly, accurately, and responsibly, and make those capabilities available to their organizations. Learn more at h2o.ai slash solutions slash industry slash government. Here's Walter Makish, Vice President of Federal at Pure Storage. For the second year in a row, the Gartner Magic Quadrant for primary storage arrays positions Pure Storage highest on ability to execute and farthest right on completeness of vision. It is all about managing the data. Pure is dedicated to transforming the complexities of government IT by delivering a modern data experience. Check out the Gartner Report and learn how Pure can help your agency reach its data potential at purestorage.com government. That's purestorage.com government. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about artificial intelligence and machine learning, and we're just getting into use cases had some fantastic ones from Sri. Gil, I'm going to ask you, uh, give us a, 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 a use case that you'd like to highlight for the audience here that you're working on over there at Department of Veterans Affairs. Um, certainly. So there, um, as you mentioned, or, you know, there are a number of different use cases. Sure. Uh, we actually put out a uh, list of some of those that uh, uh, there's interest uh, in uh, engaging with externally. It's on our, our guidance website under the um, the main page of the VA, um, basically www.va.gov slash guidance, if people are interested to see that in the VA yeah, strategy are there. But, uh, you know, there are a number of them. Uh, there's, you know, ones, everything from uh, increasing productivity, processing forms through natural language processing to, you know, to highlight one here, there's one around um, you know, for the pandemic, which was just mentioned, right? So the the pandemic has uh, created really an especially large burden for healthcare professionals to treat the patients rapidly and effectively. Uh, and AI can really expedite the clinical decision-making process by aiding in the prediction and also in the training of um, the different aspects of COVID-19 uh, and really enhance our workforce's capability, uh, whether it be the, you know, physicians, nurses, and others that are uh, working with the patients or operational uses, um, what resources to make available and where uh, for the, the different uh, uh, areas uh, across the country. Um, and so uh, in this, you know, in one case, you know, using data across uh, the different medical centers, uh, you know, which are across the country, um, the be built uh, an AI uh, tool um, and uh, in, in it was a uh, work done, you know, with the medical centers and uh, the National Artificial Intelligence Institute to predict uh, both morbidity and mortality. And what the tool does is it identifies and then explains the most important features. We we learned that that is something that the physicians really need to um, and those who are uh, managing to understand uh, and learn as the uh, pandemic evolves. What are the important characteristics um, that are important? Uh, around COVID-19. Um, and so uh, we've been working on that and then seeing how it changes um, across the pandemic. And so we're currently getting feedback and, and determine uh, and 
working to determine you know, how deployment of this uh, tool uh, could affect patient outcomes and clinicians' uh, overall user experience. And you know, this tool is really just one example of, of uh, this idea of this AI to go platform, uh, which is uh, taking a look and, and being able to work uh, and uh, take some of the findings from uh, research and development, uh, from different uh, collaborations, uh, to be able to take AI tools that are developed as, uh, through such approaches and through uh, mechanisms like the AI text sprint and, and, and similar uh, to bring them to scale. Um, and so looking forward to other applications, but you know, that's just one to, to highlight here today. Thanks. AI to go, it's the first time I've heard that term um, and uh, interesting uh, use cases towards the clinicians versus, you always think about the patients, of course, how many employees at VA, just Scott size and scope, roughly? Uh, right, right. So the VA is the, the largest um, civilian agency, actually, if you look at it. Um, and there are hundreds of thousands uh, of employees uh, at the VA. Um, and uh, yeah, so and depending on the, the statistics, uh, you know, it, it can vary, but um, there are, uh, it, it's broken into three components. Um, mm -hmm. And one of them, uh, where the health is, a Veteran Health Administration is the largest, and it itself also has uh, hundreds of thousands. The others are uh, Benefits Administration uh, and also the National uh, Cemetery. Wow. Okay. Thank you for that perspective. Just a size and scope there. John, how about uh, giving us a use case in regards to Aerospike that you'd like to highlight for the community? Well, I think an interesting one that we can all relate to is uh, credit card fraud or mm -hmm. transactional fraud. And our behavior in the marketplace, the way we use our credit cards or the way we transact business uh, online happens in real time. Um, you go online, you do something. And um, to put it in perspective relative to the scale today, um, we have a client who I can't mention, but uh, they do basically credit card transaction fraud. And when they started out with us about five or six years ago, the underlying data set was about 12 terabytes. Today, it's 200 terabytes. And in the split second, when they decide you're at a Starbucks and you're saying, I want to buy a latte, and your card comes back and says, please remove your card. In that moment, in this case, 200 terabytes of data is available for the inference engine to make a decision, a split second decision in less than a second as to whether the transaction is fraudulent or not. And the interesting thing that surprised even me was that in that window, this particular user of our technology does 250 database reads and writes so that the inference engine can be smarter and make a better decision in that split second. And you can apply that to all of these AI and machine learning cases where you're pushing the decision to the edge and you're dealing with, if you will, machine speed, machine scale to delight your constituency or to support your constituency or to improve the intimacy with your constituency, which, which we all know and love uh, because we are in our personal lives, we use technology to talk to people, talk to things, talk to machines and machine to machine is just as important. So that's an example of the scale that's happening out there in the world. I think it's a great example. I think we've all can have the case of, you know, I, I get a deviation and a half away from the norm and uh, using my credit card and bang, they're on the, on the phone saying, hey, is that really you? And much more convenient now to just be able to text back and forth, say, yeah, that's me, good, boom. You're off and running. It's fascinating that there's that much transaction going on in that split second. 
Uh, Ramesh, how about over at DIA? I know you've got a lot of use cases. Give us one that you'd like to highlight um, for our audience. Absolutely, yeah. As probably most of you know that we are the foundational military intelligence to war fighters and decision makers. And our goal is to deliver comprehensive understanding of foreign military capabilities, infrastructure, and material in all domains, right? So DIA is developing the Mars program, which is machine-assisted rapid repository system to transform how defense intelligence enterprise and the intelligence community think about access and use foreign military intelligence. The foreign military intelligence transformation allows us to be more effective use of vast amounts of data that we collect based on a scalable data ecosystem. So we're laying the foundation for future requirements. And in fact, last year in December, 2021, we deployed the Mars data environment, which allows us to access data residing in variety of systems and begin testing our machine to machine interface that we heard short while back. So we can use incremental process for development. We are using DevSecOps, continuous delivery pipeline, mm -hmm. automation into the tools to enhance and support uh, capabilities for analysis development, battle damage assessment, understanding the order of battle, track and analyze out of garrison order of battles, improve users' ability to identify indications, warnings, and emerging threats. So our goal is to keep the country safe, prevent strategic surprises, and we are using technologies, platforms, and tools to achieve that mission. I really do appreciate everything that you're doing to keep this country safe, by the way. So thank you very much to all the men and women over there at DIA. Nick, how about an example? Uh, you always have some fascinating use cases. Can you give us one that you'd like to share? Sure, Luke. And let me just start by saying, you know, at Pure Storage, our mission is to enable innovators to build a better world with data. And what we do is build capability to enable our customers to get the most advantage from their data at the wholesale level, whatever the application. So artificial intelligence, it's a data application. Um, we make the data service platforms, hardware and software to enable leveraging data at speed and scale wherever you have it, whether it's on-premises or in the cloud. So the, the ways in which we've seen our, our platforms employed to support this are actually highly varied from you know traditional uh, compute and server environments to obviously modern day supercompute capabilities. Probably the most relevant recent application that we can talk about is infectious disease research at National Health and CDC throughout the pandemic. And interestingly, the platforms were initially acquired to support cancer research, which we do mm -hmm. a considerable amount with at Memorial Sloan Kettering, Page AI, uh, MD Anderson Cancer Center. But obviously, the protein folding um, is uh, a similar application, whether you're doing it for cancer research or virus replication. So we've been deeply involved in obviously COVID research, not just the you know the virology itself, but also the disease tracking uh, worldwide. And that's been obviously tremendously uh, beneficial over the past couple of years as we seek to understand both the nature of the pandemic and the nature of the disease. Fascinating use cases there when you talk about, uh, uh, you know, sort of this deep learning, if you will, into, uh, into the cancer research. And again, wanna appreciate everything that everyone is doing in that community to, uh, you know, to keep us all healthy. Uh, gonna walk over to priorities and, uh, John, I'm going to start with you, and we want to talk about priorities for this year. You know, what, what, what do you have on the docket? What are you focused on for the next 10 to 12 months? Well, everyone who has a lot of data and is using it in real time, that's machine speed, as I mentioned. Um, what we're trying to do is blend, essentially, the combination of high-performance online 
processing, sort of transactional processing with the ability to capture intelligence from the data. And that tends to be a people speed, people scale problem. Maybe there's a large data set, but the access to the information that's changing and then going deeper and deeper from a machine learning standpoint to essentially find actionable intelligence. Most organizations are awash in data and there's nuggets in there that if you can capture, then you can put them to use in real time. So that's a focus. Basically, I would guess I would call it real-time analytics, um, where you can learn things in a real time against a dynamic uh, data set. And the enabling technology to make that possible is where we're focused. A lot of focus in that area, and I really do appreciate it. Uh, Ramesh, how about at DIA? I know there's a lot of priorities over there. Uh, what's the focus for you over the next, say, 10 months or so? I would say the big one would be modernization of our TSLCI network, JVX, uh, continuing to move forward with the Mars program, which is very, very important. It's the Department of Defense pathway to achieving data superiority and maintaining decision advantage. Uh, and also the big one is making sure I can get the agency AI ready by 2025, which is the director's priority to make sure we have the foundational capabilities to be AI ready by 2025 aligned to the NCSI report. So I would say it's JVIX, Mars and AI, and also starting to leverage the hybrid multi-cloud, the C2E contracts to make sure leverage it appropriately depending on the mission needs. Super important in that multi-cloud environment, sort of stitch all that together and make it real. Nick, how about over at Pure Storage? What's your focus over the next 10 months? Thanks. Thanks, Luke. Our top priorities for uh, the coming year, uh, really threefold. Expanding the scale of data service and accelerating AI and machine learning operations. Um, what we've learned is that the larger your AI efforts go become, the more algorithms you have to manage, the lifecycle sustainment of those algorithms becomes uh, critical. And the more people you have working in the environment, the more you need well-developed processes for doing AI and machine learning operations. And containerization is certainly a part of that, but managing the data, managing the connect connectivity between the algorithms, the development efforts, and the data itself is, is a significant problem at scale. So the next thing we're looking at is improving the efficiency of artificial intelligence systems themselves in the power space, cooling, sustainability, and performance. So over the course of the next year, uh, we're going to be launching some pretty significant improvements to our, our data platforms to enable exactly that, the next generation of AI development. I think the, the proof of the pudding on that one is uh, the recently announced Meta Research Supercluster, Facebook's uh, research platform, uh, focusing primarily on computer vision, natural language processing, and sentiment analysis. But they've gone all flash, and they've uh, obviously deployed a considerable number of, of NVIDIA's uh, DGX systems, as well as pure storage underneath, to drive down the cost of the data by improving the data center uh, economics, but also significantly improving the velocity of the platforms. And the last thing that we're going to focus on, of course, is improving the automation of the data management uh, to facilitate uh, the improvements in AI and machine learning operations that I was talking about. A lot of horsepower you're talking about there between NVIDIA and, and pure storage sort of coupling together. So super mm -hmm. impressive. And thank you very much for that. Uh, Gil, how about over at VA? I know you got a lot of things going on over there. Gil sends me a note, 374,000 employees at VA. A lot of moving parts there. What are your top priorities? Yes, and then we're serving over 9 million um, veterans that are actively uh, in the system. And so there's a lot of 
which is uh, just incredible when you think about uh, that, right? It's just unbelievable. Yeah, a lot of potential in terms of uh, developing, as we were talking about before, the workforce, developing solutions for the veterans. So in terms of priorities, we're now working on that um, AI uh, implementation uh, of the, the roadmap uh, for that AI strategy uh, to really link together the work that uh, we've been doing at the VA uh, and the national AI strategy and, uh, and working together with the VA data strategy, right? So all of those aspects uh, to make sure that uh, we can move forward uh, efficiently and working across um, offices to help facilitate that trustworthy uh, AI. Uh, we're also working on um, developing an inventory of uh, the different use cases um, and supporting some of the new work around the, the data governance console um, to uh, ensure that um, there's work and uh, AI use cases um, in support of uh, the common operating uh, picture platform uh, as well. Now the VA AI strategy has um, uh, these uh, four st uh, strategy execution priorities, which are to uh, build a robust community and network around AI at the VA. Uh, to uh, number two, to prioritize and invest in AI research. Uh, the third is to reduce barriers in translating AI advances into real-world capabilities. And the fourth is uh, about adopting an AI maturity model that's tailored to the VA's mission uh, and needs. So, so those are some of the things that we're uh, working on. And uh, yeah, eager to, to hear what others are working on and, and seeing if there are some common themes as well. Yeah, it really uh, seems that just to continue to sort of mature and 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 up up the value chain, if you will, in regards to this um, very powerful capability. All right, we're going to take another short break and we're going to be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. H2O.AI is the trusted AI provider to more than 20,000 global organizations and 1 million data scientists. A strong AI for good ethos and responsible AI drive the company's purpose. Our goal is to get artificial intelligence capabilities into the hands of operators and analysts and believe that if agencies can execute a democratized artificial intelligence strategy, that they will actually achieve mission outcomes faster, better, and smarter. Our tools empower data scientist teams to develop machine learning models quickly, accurately, and responsibly, and make those capabilities available to their organizations. Learn more at h2o.ai slash solutions slash industry slash government. Can you keep up with your real-time data requirements? Federal agencies need a better way to manage real-time data-intensive workloads, regardless of where they run. Used by some of the world's most recognized digital innovators, Aerospike's real-time data platform is designed to improve customer experiences in the moments that matter. Discover why innovative enterprise companies, from Adobe to PayPal, trust Aerospike. Learn how your agency can, too, by visiting aerospike.com public sector. Here's Walter Makish, Vice President of Federal at Pure Storage. For the second year in a row, the Gartner Magic Quadrant for primary storage arrays positions Pure Storage highest on ability to execute and farthest right on completeness of vision. It is all about managing the data. Pure is dedicated to transforming the complexities of government IT by delivering a modern data experience. Check out the Gartner Report and learn how Pure can help your agency reach its data potential at purestorage.com government. That's purestorage.com government. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about machine learning and artificial intelligence, deep learning, 
And uh, we were just getting into uh, priorities for the next 10 months. And uh, Sri, I'm gonna throw it over to you. Top priority for you for the next 10 to 12 months. Look, thanks for um, the question. It's interesting, our priority for the last 10 years is roughly the same priority for the next 10 months, which is- I like it. We're obsessed with our customers being uh, successful. AI has, as you know, has been promising to change the world for the Turing test since 1950s for hundreds of years. And co-creation with the customer has been the true way we have built real success. Uh, customers are really good at their domain and they have the data. So working very closely with them to look at their problems and democratize those organizations across the whole organization. The way we've done that is with AI-first app stores. Uh, Gil was mentioning about uh, use case uh, list and uh, inventory of use cases. And to organize them is the same way we organize our cell phones is through app stores. And so our mission is to democratize AI one piece at a time, one mm -hmm. microservice at a time, and create that middleware for AI. So there's a soft software way of transforming the planet of one, one agency at a time. Our best wins um, from commercial um, experiences, like we've transformed uh, Kaiser Permanente uh, or HCA or, um, or wins from United Health Group or Aetna, uh, and take those and uh, some of the most other uh, regulated industries like the banking industry, uh, every payment system across the planet uses H2O. Um, um, and so we um, bring those wins from the commercial sector where we are kind of the alpha, the number one, uh, default um, platform for AI to the public sector. So we can truly make um, our federal agencies as world-class as uh, their peers in the in the uh, commercial world. Uh, That's out, that is outstanding. Uh, I'd love to hear that. Uh, uh, the focus for 10 months is the same thing you've been focusing on for 10 years. Gil, let's talk about top lessons learned. Number one lesson learned that you've been encountering that you'd like to share at VA? Uh, well, you know, there, there, there are many lessons I think learned. I think uh, one of the things is that, um, you know, we all know and have experienced every organization has its own structure uh, and process to implement new systems, right? And in mm -hmm. the public sector, we really need to navigate several rules that place data privacy up front as a primary concern. And so, um, you know, to get into, um, you know, challenges, you know, I think, um, one of the challenges is updating the rules uh, and creating a defined yet an agile infrastructure, right, to make uh, the changes that we need as we progress forward and, and more deeply implement uh, and integrate uh, AI and machine learning. Um, and, uh, and so we're at the point where some of the old rules and, and old uh, structures uh, require updating, right? And uh, so we can accommodate uh, that power of that new technology to bring uh, to the public sector and, and those that we serve. And so really now is that critical time to establish that feedback loop, right? So we can have an open collaborative mm -hmm. uh, discussion and really get that input uh, to move forward um, and then implement those insights um, so into the processes uh, day by day uh, to enhance uh, you know, the, the, the work that we do and those that we serve. Sure, fascinating. Ramesh, how about a DIA? Top lesson learned that you've discovered? There are multiple things, but the big one I would say, I would echo what Sri was mentioning earlier is the importance of culture and growth mindset. 
I mean, all these technologies are all good, but if the culture is not ready, we have some major challenges. Mm -hmm. From a technology standpoint, yes, we need to understand the platform architecture, importance of data fabrics, the word data comes from, what is going to be used for what, the use case-based scenarios, impact-based, outcomes-based model. How do you take something from an unclassified system all the way up to TSSCI level and put it out to the, with the ATO? So there are some specialized needs that we do where typical industry doesn't do, but the fundamental thing I would say is the importance of skills, talent, culture, and the growth mindset. Once we get that thing right, other things will happen. Fantastic. Sri, top lesson learned that you've discovered in your vast history with the AI technology. AI is a, um, you innovate or die, right? So AI is a fast moving space. So innovation um, is continuously changing and I mean, touched on the topic of talent. How do we uh, continue to acquire in, in incredible talent, bring them, give them the freedom to innovate and, and take those innovations back to our customers and make the agencies innovate alongside. So not losing that uh, edge, innovation edge. Um, some of the most sophisticated uh, natural language processing accuracy yields happened in the last 18 months. Image recognition happened over the last five, six years. How do we bring both of them together in a no code, almost easy way for uh, agencies to take advantage of building, pre, uh, building uh, world-class deep learning models without having to keep up with the changes happening underlying and, and try to kind of almost give the ability for everyone to build world-class um, models in their specific um, data domain. And I, I, I love it, AI for all. AI for all. And, and transparency is at the heart of it. If we can explain and interpret AI, uh, as we, we learned during the pandemic, that the simplest, often the simplest interpretable models were far more um, easy to understand what was happening in the underlying um, mm -hmm. data. And with that, we could even predict that the, the, the third wave, the fourth wave we've seen, um, and we, can, we could adapt, um, uh, get our customers um, adapt. And fundamentally, I think of AI as it is reducing fear and uncertainty, right? Sure. And, and happiness, fear and uncertainty the opposite of happiness. So we're in the purpose of delivering happiness by reducing fear, uncertainty, and what is doubt in our customers. And sure. AI is really at the, at, the, at the crossroads where people have to begin to learn to uh, trust it and create that human AI interloop uh, exchange, which I, mean, I think Ramesh was touching that earlier so that you can actually trust AI where it is trustable and validate um, uh, the trust, but verify, validate it continuously so that we can look at what are the blind spots for the AI and, and ensure we uh, continue to learn from the, the feedback coming from the model, either doing very well or not doing well. well. All models are wrong. Some models are useful. So our mission is to give that uh, explainability to, to the AI so that we can essentially uh, decode uh, and the hundreds of years of bias in the decisions won't go away overnight. So we need to go in and uh, almost uh, adversarially test the models so that they're safe, secure, and can yield more uh, results. We're going to roll down to this last question. Uh, uh, I, uh, we'd love to have all day, but unfortunately, we've got a... Um, button it up here and, and focus on uh, the future. And John, I'm gonna start with you at Aerospike. Uh, if you could paint a picture and predict, uh, sort of anticipate 
what we can expect two to three years from now. Uh, what does it look like? I think basically it's massive amounts of data being analyzed and used in real time to delight, if you will, the organization's constituency. Um, this is almost a third generation of the internet. I mean, it started out and today, if you think back just 10 years, it's sort of amazing. And I think that what's gonna happen, and I, I think many of the panelists have, have touched on this, is a comfort with being able to use the data in ways that we've never been able to use before. We've got compute power, we've got broad access to data globally, it's ubiquitous. And the potential with that is staggering, whether it's in medicine, whether it's in business, whether it's in the Department of Defense, whether it's in the civil agencies in our government. I think the exciting- I think the excitement that's here and the potential is uh, unbounded. And I think it's one of the most exciting times in the information technology industry that I've ever seen. Looking forward to it. I think we all are. Nick, uh, if you could paint a picture, uh, predict, the, let's say predict the future, but two or three years from now, I'm sure you all have some things in the Petri dish. What does it look like in two to three years? Oh. Look, what we're seeing is that data management and algorithm lifecycle sustainment will improve the tool sets necessary to facilitate that at scale and really autonomously will uh, certainly evolve and become mainstream to the point where your infrastructure becomes boundaryless. It's really all about managing data and the data sphere, not about managing the compute service infrastructure. Um, so that's a core focus for how we're implementing our software layers, data plans and control layers on top of our systems. The second thing we see is that the scale of data, volume, velocity, variety, and veracity will increase, especially with the advent of 5G and 5G developed applications. The internet of things or machine generated data is going to actually explode beyond its current level in ways that we can't anticipate. But importantly also, the cost of the data service will decrease and the scale and performance of the technologies will increase. Uh, due to the evolutions of, uh, you know, obviously, processors, protocols, buses, uh, and the things that are simply inherent in the technology evolution lifecycle. So there will be more data, but it will be less expensive to use, and it will be more efficient for us to manage. Fantastic. Top lesson learned for you? Well, what we've learned from our customers uh, along the AI journey is that purpose-built infrastructures for AI are critical to shortening the time to effective algorithm development and deployment. Traditional systems are not designed for the scale of AI and machine learning compute applications. And AI and containerization create unprecedented scale challenges that truly have to be automated with tools designed for supporting the application and supporting the training and development of algorithms with immense quantities of data. So AI scale is hyperscale to John's point. So very much driven by API-driven automated administration and operation. That's, that's probably the key thing. What you've built your IT enterprise to function with in the past going to be for this type of application and development going forward. John, didn't catch you on the top lesson learned. Your top lesson learned. Making it easy for adoption is everything. De-risking this new world that we have for IT organizations, um, it is new, and you've got a lot of risk associated with large projects and making it simple, if you will, dumbing it down 
and allowing organizations to iterate to get to the big success as opposed to sort of the big bang approach. And again, if you take the risk out of it, you shorten the window to opportunity, shorten the window to value. I think that's the journey that most organizations should be. And I think as vendors, we can enable that. And I think that's the risk. I think that's the opportunity. Take the risk out, increase the integrity, and it's AI for all. I love it. Uh, Shri, uh, we're talking about uh, what's it going to look like? You've been at this for over a decade. You spoke about grandmasters over there. I understand you have two or three of them there. Uh, what do you see in a couple of years from now? We have 10% um, of the world's grandmasters, 25 of them, just like um, chess and AI has grandmasters. So what we've done is digitized how they're doing, solving their problems, and then making it easy, the accessible to our customers. The big trends we're seeing um, is AI, uh, AI is in the cloud, it has been eating software now and started eating hardware as we are partnership with NVIDIA and other new you know, generation architectures. But AI is heading to the edge, right? You know, how do we truly bring intelligence where, where care needs to be delivered or decisions need to be made? I think AI on the edge, 5G, as Nick was mentioning, um, we're seeing a lot of blockchain as well. Which, uh, how do you decentralize and bring some validation to AI, um, validate the bits, sign the bits that are running on the edge? How do you kind of give it more veracity? How do you bring it more explainability and transparency? And I think the future is, um, is beautiful. Uh, everything is going to be intelligent on things as they get more and more smarter. They can be more adaptive, more personalized. They can create environments that uh, make for a very rich interaction between people. And finally, AI is going to reduce all the boring stuff away, which of all this document processing, all the uh, video. We created a ton of video uh, through Zooms um, like these. Uh, over the last two years, how do you start adapting to video, audio, and, and large corpus of text summarization of those use cases into simple, easy, understandable pieces for, the, for, for making decisions? I think that kind of piecing together, um, reducing the, uh, the noise from the signal and starting to act on that, that's still a, um, a big problem for our customers and enabling the customers to become AI um, first, AI superpowers. Our mission is to make every one of our customers an AI company or an AI agency, an AI organization. An AI superpower, I love it. Ramesh, how about a DIA um, when you focus over the next couple of years where do you expect to be at that point? A couple of things. Obviously, I'm continuing with the culture of innovation, growth mindset, so we can extract the value from our data and forge partnership with our allies and partners, especially our 5i partners, industry, academia, research labs, because no one can do things by themselves. I believe in outside and innovation model. So we want to accelerate the speed and scale of innovation, extract the value from our data. And there are some technical aspects like VNV, verification, validation, uh, bias, fairness, explainability. So Last year, I worked with the Deputy Secretary of Defense to create the responsible AI memo. We have a policy. How do we translate that non-functional requirements and how do we push it out into our RFPs and other things coming out, right? So the goal is to make sure we have next generation digital platform for intelligence advantage for decision superiority for the country. Uh, that's a, uh, 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 an important goal, a lofty goal. You mentioned 5i just for the listening audience. What is 5i? Oh, that's the US, uh, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and UK. They, they are our closest partners. If you look at our US partnership, it goes in circles of trust. So there is the NATO, there's five eyes, NATO, then there's other 
partners and allies, right? So we work very, very closely. In fact, our DDCI, Deputy Director for Commonwealth Integration, is an Australian general who sits in our headquarters in Washington, D.C. So they work on par with us. I could go probably sit down in UK Ministry of Defense and have a role reporting to their general or someone like that. So there are a lot of cross-pollination that happens between these five countries, which is what 5i is. Thank you for that definition on 5i. Uh, Gil, you're going to wrap us up here. Tell us what it's going to look like over the next couple of three years at Veterans Affairs. Yeah, so I, I think, um, you know, when you look toward the future, um, you know, obviously it's hard to predict, but uh, we're seeing a lot of interesting work, I think, in, in trustworthy artificial intelligence. A lot of people are, you know, I've heard, you know, are talking about AI first, you know, and AI able or AI ready data. I think in the future, we're going to start to talk about it, think more about, you know, trustworthy first, trustworthy ready data um, as sort of the foundation, because we need to start thinking about um, that trustworthy aspect of, of the use cases right at the very beginning, you know, all the data, making sure that as you build the models, you, you have the right data, because it's much easier to uh, build and design uh, trustworthy aspects of artificial intelligence when you think about them at the beginning rather than uh, after the use case is developed and you're working on uh, deploying it uh, and patching it afterwards. Um, so I think that's one aspect. Uh, when we think about artificial intelligence within government in general, I think um, you know it can help in reducing essentially our time tax on our employees. Uh, so they can accomplish more um, within uh, the given uh, same level of effort, uh, as well as also it can help in improving uh, customer service through uh, increasing speed and accuracy while protecting uh, the, the, the privacy as one of the top priorities. Um, so, you know, it's worth uh, repeating really that, um, that the way AI, artificial intelligence, right, and machine learning can improve uh, and, and do some of this is by improving the access to the information and making it uh, readily available and scalable. Uh, and in doing so, you know, I think it'll really fundamentally change the way we serve the veteran community uh, and also enable and empower that workforce uh, with uh, high-end tools. Well, we certainly do appreciate that. And we appreciate all the work and uh, effort that uh, everyone has uh, uh, been doing to, to keep this country safe and, and prosper. Uh, so I want to thank all of you uh, to, for taking the time out of your busy schedules to join us on this program. I'd also like to thank the sponsors for supporting us on this show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make this program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank the listening audience that tune in every month. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network. This show was produced by Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.